It's Romans 6, verse 1 through 14. This is Paul speaking to the Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray as we walk through a couple of passages today. Um, we pray that uh, your spirit would change us, would change our minds and our hearts and change the way we live when we leave here. Just ask that we would put ourselves under your authority. These are your words. This is you revealing yourself to us. So I pray we would treat the word in that way. Believe that it has power. Believe that what it communicates you want to, to give us ultimate, ultimate flourishing as followers of you. We pray that your spirit would be active today as we walk through this. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So here we are the week after arguably the most important Sunday on the church calendar. Right? So you have the Sunday after Easter. Okay, the, the, maybe the most forgotten day. You're just coming off of Easter. Uh, this, this Sunday doesn't even get its own number on the calendar. It's just that day that comes after Easter every year. It's like the, the, the head coach that replaces the coaching legend. It's like the, the lead singer of the, the, the band steps in and takes the place of the Hall of Fame lead singer that stepped away from the band. It's like sequels that never should have been made. Like Home Alone 3. Dumb and Dumber-er, or Dumb and Dumber 2, whatever that was. Like, I, I, I kid about this, but I, I make light of it. But this is sometimes, I think, how we approach the resurrection. Like, we, ha- we have Easter, we're coming off Easter, and there's this danger of, of celebrating the resurrection, celebrating Easter as a one-time event that happened in the past, which it did, but leaving it there, and not thinking about how does the resurrection matter? How does it matter now? How does it matter on the Monday after Easter? How does it matter? How did it matter on Thursday of last week? How does it matter today on the Sunday after Easter? What does the resurrection have to do about our lives now? This is kind of like uh, a wedding anniversary. 
uh, Nicole and I's is on August 13th. This would be like on every August 13th, there was this big ramp up and we made a huge big deal about our anniversary, which we should do. We do that. It's good. But then the rest of the year, we just kind of say, you know what? We're not going to really you know, show affection to one another. We're not going to do any dates. We're not going to hang out a lot um, until that, that August 13th comes around next year. And we're going to blow it out. It's going to be awesome. Okay? This, no, we wouldn't do that. And so we shouldn't do that for sure with the resurrection. So how do we connect the resurrection, the fact that Jesus is alive right now, right now, as I speak, he is alive. He was alive on Sunday of last week as we celebrated, but he's also alive today. He's been alive for 2,000 years, right? He is alive. So how do we do this? Here's a quote from Eugene Peterson, a pastor and, and an author who died last year. Great quote here about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection provides the energy and conditions by which we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We live the Christian life out of a rich tradition of formation by resurrection. Jesus' resurrection provides the energy and conditions by which we walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The great psalm phrase from 116.9. The resurrection of Jesus creates and then makes available the reality in which we are formed as new creatures in Christ by the Holy Spirit. The do-it-yourself, self-help culture of North America has so thoroughly permeated our imaginations that we ordinarily don't give attention to the biggest thing of all, resurrection. And the reason we don't is because resurrection is not something we can use or control or manipulate or improve upon. And I think he's exactly right. There's something about the resurrection. When we think about it, it's hard for us to grasp. Like Jesus is actually alive. And so then I think we're quick to move on because it's really hard to get our minds around. But if we really are aware of it, that Jesus is alive, and we start to to get our minds around it, it becomes really clear that the resurrection matters so much to our day in and day out lives. Moment by moment. It's easy. It's straightforward. The Bible's clear on how the resurrection matters um, today for us right now. And there are a few basic questions that all humans are trying to answer, I believe. Just a handful, I think. And the resurrection actually answers many, if not all, of these questions. There's three questions we're going to actually focus on today. And these are questions that all of humanity is trying to answer. The first is, who am I? Gets at identity. Who am I? Second, who do I belong to? Or who do I want to follow? And this gets at the authority question. And then last, why am I here? What's my purpose? And this gets at the mission or, or purpose question. So today we're going to look at identity, authority, and mission. And there's a passage shortly after the resurrection where Jesus has appeared to his disciples for few weeks and he's about to ascend back to heaven and he gives them kind of this one last speech before he leaves and it's recorded in different gospels that the end of the gospel is usually at the beginning of acts and uh, we're going to look at matthew's version matthew 28 16 through 20 we have to put ourselves in in the place of the disciples is there they've seen jesus rise from the dead they know he's about to leave and this is what he leaves them with verse 16 now the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. You see all three of these, identity, authority, and mission or purpose in this passage. He's leaving in this, he speaks this over them. It's a little bit difficult for us to pick up on the identity piece because these guys have been walking with Jesus for three years. They're his, they are following him. They have this new identity. They've been called fishers of men. They've been following him, okay? And, and, and we benefit from what he's asked them to do when, they, when he tells them to, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like that's, that's an identity that we're baptized into that. And those who have come, um, come to know Jesus and followed him over the last 2,000 years since Jesus said this are now, we have a new identity, okay? But at that time, they heard it. They, were, they, they identified with Jesus, they identify with Jesus. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. That comes at Pentecost. So that's how it's a little bit different for us. But the good thing about it, Paul teaches on this extensively in Romans 6. It's a passage I read at the beginning. Let's jump back in. We'll come back to that Matthew 28 one, but let's go to Romans 6. And with our identity, let's ask what actually happens inside of us um, when Christ is raised? Or what's that have to do with our identity? So let's walk through this. I'm going to stop, pause every few minutes and and kind of talk about these verses. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So you see this old, old man language, old creation. We've died. Our old selves are gone. They're dead. Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For, we have been united, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So I want to pause here. This is really... At getting at the idea of union with Christ. And we talked a lot about this in the last couple of months. We actually did a whole series over it. What Paul is saying here is we've been united with Christ in his death. When he died, we died, if you're a follower of Jesus. And then when he was brought back to life, when he rose from the dead, there was something inside of us that was brought back to life. This, this new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old man has been put away. The new man has arrived. And we're united to Christ through that. So the resurrection is, is very, very important. He's conquered death. To the, the songs that we sang earlier mentioned to it, and, and Paul teaches on later, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Like Christ has overcome the grave. He died and it's done and now he's risen from the dead. And so now we're, we can be raised with him and death has no power over us if we have faith in him. That's why the resurrection is key for identity. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is... This is Paul's talking about our identity here. 
Our identity, we talk about it a lot around here, but if I was to ask you um, just some basic questions, probably a lot of you are thinking in terms of identity. Around here, we would say, we see ourselves as I'm a Sooner, or I'm a cowboy, maybe, maybe. Um, If you're, uh, maybe I'm an Oklahoman, or I'm a Texan, we have a lot of those here. Um, Either I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I'm a homemaker. These are statements that whether we actually verbalize those or not, we actually wear those around. We actually see ourselves through those lenses. To get a little deeper, you could say, I'm beautiful or I'm ugly. I'm dumb or I'm smart. I'm worthy or I'm worthless. I'm an addict. I'm a failure. I'll never amount to anything. And if I was to ask you how you are doing, just off the cuff, hey, how are you doing? And you were trying to, de- to decide what to tell me, like I'm, I'm doing good or I'm doing bad, you would probably think through these identities and figure out how these identities are doing in your life. If you're an engineer and you're at work and things are good at work and you see yourselves prim- pr- yourself as primarily an engineer, then you're going to say, if things are good at work, then, hey, I'm good. Your joy and your freedom rises and falls on how these identities are doing. If you're a, a guy like me, I, I want to be seen as a, a husband and a man who, who, who leads well in the home. And I think part of like leading in the home is, is having some, you know, some order and some, some intentionality with some things. And so with a three-year-old at home, that gets blown up a lot. So if I, ever get, if I get frustrated at Nicole or with Jax and I ask, what's being challenged here? Like what's being attacked that I am overreacting to usually really, really small things like a three-year-old being loud. It's like, welcome to the world, right? Like that's silly for me to overreact to that, but I do. And what's going on there? Yes, I'm a sinful, wicked person sometimes. That's true, but that, that doesn't help me. What's going on? Well, I want to be seen as a man that kind of has it all together, including in his home. So when, when I can't control the people around me, then I get frustrated. I react. I don't like it because things aren't happening the way I want them to happen. Why? Because one of the identities I want propped up really high is I'm a man who has it together. Maybe some of you can relate to me. Students, I'm sure you, the pressure. I need to be the person or I'm the kind of person that gets good grades. I'm the kind of student that graduates and get a, gets a successful job. Now that may be you that has that identity or maybe your parents gave you that identity and you feel the weight of this identity given to you by them that you're feeling. Yeah, our identity controls us. Or I'm not going to be the kind of person that ever gets rejected again because of pain of rejection in my past. Therefore, I'm never going to allow myself to open up to people or get close to people because I'm the kind of person who's never going to get rejected again because it felt so bad and painful. It's your identity talking and Satan using that to give you just this false, untrue representation of yourself. But we wear that as an identity. And you notice all those things I said, maybe other than born man or woman, all these things were something you did or was something that was done to you, right? So what you do for a living, it's something you do. It's not who you are. It's what you do for a living. Your, your roles in life. Yeah, that, 
it's, it's, it's given to me as a father. That's who it is. Your wounds, the things done to you that maybe you had no control over. That's something that was done to you. It's not who you are. The gospel tells us the resurrection is based off of what Jesus has already done. And it's the, the life, the death, and the resurrection that gives us our identity. So now, instead of all those other identities, you have the identity of a child. You're a servant. You're beloved. You're, you're, you're loved even in the midst of your worst day. You're a friend of God. You're a disciple. You're a new creation. God gives us these new identities through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit. You didn't earn these. You didn't deserve these. You don't have to work hard to keep this, these identities. If you are in Christ and you have faith in him, they are yours. So we need to tell ourselves, this is our new identity. That's why the gospel is so important. You have to remind yourself over and over and over as much as you can. This is who I am. This is truly who I am, not who the world wants me to be or what my past says about me or what Satan's whispering to me. This is who I am. And the spirit, the, the resurrection and the spirit living inside of us helps us, helps these identities become a reality in our day in and day out life. This is why the resurrection is so important. So that's the identity question. Who am I? Next question, who do I belong to? Or who do I want to follow? And this speaks to the authority question. Let's go back to Matthew 28, that first passage we read. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the authority statements here, specifically in verses 18 and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, he's about to leave. Imagine the, the, how good this would have felt for his disciples to hear this. All authority, not a little authority, not authority now, not authority in, it just in Jerusalem, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You can't get any more authority than that. You can't. Go therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's that identity language then. They're in the Trinity. We're, we're baptized into the Trinity. We're saved, united to that Trinity. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus in verse 18 is telling his disciples, and he's telling us that he's been given all authority. So we put ourselves under his authority, and then he actually gives us the same authority he has through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we have this authority, and we put ourselves under the authority of Jesus. Listen to author Philip Yancey say this about this idea of authority in the resurrection. In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. And I love that because it gets at this idea that I think we kind of forget. Like Jesus is like, he's died and we know that he's alive. And we, well, we know that he's, the, the tomb's empty. And then maybe we just think he's in heaven kind of waiting for us to get there. And he's up there, but he doesn't matter now. And what Yancey's saying here is, oh, he, he's here. 
he's out there. We don't understand how that works with our limited, finite minds of how can he be alive. And he's alive actually through his spirit that dwells inside of those who believe in him. Okay, there's a lot of mystery. It's hard to wrap our minds around. Um, but that, that's not our job necessarily. Our job is to, to try with the resurrection and understand. So the point here with authority that everything falls under his control. And he's alive. The good and the bad. The horrible pain and the, the greatest joys. The death of a loved one and the birth of a loved one. He deserves our worship and obedience. We listen to him. We read his word and we ask, we, we, we hear them as his words. And we ask, how does my life line up with his word? And we ask if, if his word and what he has in it, this is, the, this is the guide to flourishing. He wants what's best for us in his word. And so do we ask, do our lives line up with his word? Are we flourishing? The Bible's idea of flourishing, is that that happening? See, Jesus, he's an authority figure that's not a tyrant. He's not a tyrant. He's not evil. He's not mean. He's benevolent. He's a master that washes his disciples' feet. He's he's, He's a king that stops for a woman caught in adultery who was about to be stoned. An outcast woman at a well who, 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 who nobody wanted anything to do with her. For the man who at the, at the pool who was, who was, who was, who was physically um, broken. Like Jesus is the kind of king and authority figure that stops everything for people like this. He dies on behalf of his friends. Friends that minutes earlier deserted him. Left him. We're scared. This is the kind of authority figure that we put ourselves under. I know authority is scary in this day and age. We don't like to be under authority. We don't trust authority. That is part of our culture today, and I get it. There's a lot of bad authority figures out there. Well, we're all bad authority figures compared to Jesus. Maybe some worse than others, but we have to look at the scriptures and see who this is that is our king. Look at the gospels. Look at the way he lived his life. Look who got his attention. The broken, the needy, the sick, the outcast. This is the kind of king we serve and we put ourselves under. So how does this look? How do we actually live like we're under authority? Well, I mentioned a few of those things, but God gives um, individual Christians the church so the church can help Christians be under the authority of Jesus. Relationships help in different seasons, help us be under the authority and live that out. When you sacrificially give yourself to a community and your life to others, and they sacrificially give their lives to you, something beautiful happens. And we feel the authority of Jesus working through our lives as we live in biblical community where there's mutual sacrifice going on. We spend time in his word and prayer, understanding who is this king? Who is this man, Jesus, that would do these things? We we, we yearn and we, we, we want to know him, not as a list of doctrinal points, but as a person. Like we come to the word and say, I want to know you. I want firsthand knowledge of you, God. And through prayer, we want to know our king. 
We want to know when he gives us commands that he's not giving them to, to, to squelch our joy, but to actually make sure we have the utmost joy. And we will only know that by spending time in his word. Now, authority is a tricky thing because I think either in this world, you either will put your authority under Jesus or you're going to put your authority under someone or something else. This idea of freedom, it's a mirage. Like none of us are truly free the way we tend to define freedom. Different political systems can define freedom. I get that, but free as in, I don't, I am not going to be influenced by anybody or anything else in this world. That's a mirage. You're either going to be under Jesus or you're going to be under something else. And even as followers of Jesus, we have that choice to make every day. And we just need to be aware of that. That who is our king? Who are we listening to? Who's controlling us? Who are we looking to for authority and power? 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul's teaching here. I think he's getting at this. There's, I think there's, there's two ways to look at authority. In their case, the God, you know, it's just a smaller, lowercase g there. God of this world, Satan, evil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. There's a God who has a lot of control, not complete control, but a lot of control over this earth, and his name is Satan. And he uses everything in the world to prevent us from loving Jesus and God getting glory. So if you think of it this way, like the, you, you can't have authority in both places. It's either under, under Jesus or it's under something or someone else. Okay, so that hits on the who I am, who do I belong to. Last, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my mission? Um, let's go back to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And this is very clear in this passage. Maybe the most clear thing. He is giving them a mission. And this is our mission as well. Go. It's clear. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So this is actually a command Jesus is giving his disciples to go, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them. And that is the, the calling and the primary purpose, one of the primary purposes for sure, of all of us in this room who call ourselves followers of Jesus. That is our calling. Let's step back a, few, a little bit, though. We talk a lot here about the purpose of man is to glorify God. That is true. How do we glorify God? By loving him and enjoying him. How does that happen? By growing in our discipleship and actually seeing other people become disciples so that God can get more glory and more praise and more honor from the, 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 the rest of the earth. Okay, so this is how, this is our umbrella, our mission here. And this is where I think um, making the resurrection just about our salvation in the past or just about where we're going to spend eternity in the future, dangerous. Those things, two things are true. Past aspect of resurrection, he, yeah, the tomb is empty. That happened. When we die or he returns, we will be with him for all eternity and be made alive like he was. But how does the resurrection, what does that mean for my purpose and mission from now until the point I die? And this is where we have to connect the resurrection to this. Here's how I think this plays out. Consider a command like love your enemies. It's a hard one. Hard one to love your enemies. But it's clear. It is clear. Jesus did it. He gives us a clear command. Love your enemies. How do we do that? 
If we're not keeping the resurrection in mind and we don't understand that, we know we're Christians, so we should love our enemies. So now we're going to try really, really hard. We're going to think of all the steps we need to go to to love our enemies. We're going to grit it out, white knuckle it, try to love our enemies. And maybe in the short run, there may be some success. And when you're succeeding, you're going to be prideful. But more than likely, loving your enemies is going to be impossible and you're going to fail. And when you fail, what happens? Despair. This Christian life, it's not what it's made up to be. It's hard. It's just a bunch of rules. It's just a, God's just a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want me to be happy. I hear things from people who maybe have been in and out of the church that, you know, the statement's like, oh, I, tr- I, I tried the Christianity thing. Or, you know, that didn't, that didn't really work. I tried that on. It's like a clo- piece of clothing. Yeah, I tried it on. It just didn't work for me, so I kind of discarded it. But what they tried on is a, a, a Christian life without the resurrection. They see the commands, and of course they got crushed because we can't do them without power. We can't do that without realizing that we're, we're alive and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So of course Christianity feels like just a boring set of guidelines. If Jesus isn't alive and we don't have the Holy Spirit, good luck with living out the Great Commission and all the other commands. Christianity just becomes a set of guidelines you have to meet in your own power until we get to heaven. That is not biblical Christianity. The resurrection matters right now for how we love our enemies. Look at Romans 6 again, kind of finishing this passage out. Go back a few verses to verse 10 to give context here. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, talking to the Roman church, but also to us, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the big two verses here. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So based off of everything I've just said, Paul says, don't let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Okay? He's not saying here, be perfect. He's not saying here, don't sin ever. He's saying here, don't let it reign. If Jesus is your king, you shouldn't have another king named sin. Don't let sin have control over you. And then verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And members here meaning, it could be body parts like our hands, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, but it's also just everything we are. Okay, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There's that identity piece again. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness, okay? So here's how the, the resurrection ha- helps us live the Christian life, okay? This is, the, the, the gospel is not that just Jesus died for our sins and we will spend eternity in heaven one day. That's true, but that is incomplete. The good news is that the, because Jesus lived the life we could not live, died the death we deserve life, and conquered death and gives us the Holy Spirit to live, we have the power to live out the commands. This is good news because we can actually do the things God wants us to do. This is good news. Like at any given moment, we can say no to sin. Like you realize that, right? Like, like at any giving snapshot moment, we can say no to sin. We have the Holy Spirit. We're new creations. Now, over the course of our lives, will, that, will we be perfect? Absolutely not. But at any given moment, the good news is, is that we can say no to sin. We have the ability to do that, not in our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take, take our tongue, for example. Okay? I have the ability with my words to actually, to, to, speaking of my three-year-old Jax, to be able to 
to damage him, to scar him for the next 40 years of his life if I say things to him. Or I have the ability with my little tongue to be able to to empower him and encourage him and and, and create an environment that he can grow up in and, and, and hopefully love Jesus. And I can do all of that with one tiny member. James talks about this in the book of James. My tongue. We talk about our hands. We can serve our we can serve our enemies with our hands, or we can find ways to hate our enemies with our hands. We can use our hands and feet, our members, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, those in this room. Or we can use our hands and feet to only serve ourselves and we don't need to really worry about our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can use everything we have to love people or to hate people or to disregard people. And this is really good news. Everything we read in the scripture, we can do. He's lived a perfect life. He's already obeyed what God wants us to obey. He's already done it perfectly. Then he's died. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit to say, okay, you're not going to be able to do these things on your own. So I'm giving you the spirit to be able to do these things. That is the gospel. It is good news. So we have, we have identity and authority and mission. And if you hear anything else from today, hear this. We participate in his resurrection. It's not an event that we're standing on the sidelines and clapping and being like, yes, empty tomb, go Jesus. No, we are with him. We are united to him in his resurrection. We participate with him. That is a mind-blowing truth, and it's something that we need to press into and think about and dwell on and read and preach to ourselves over and over again. Let's pray that God would help us do that now. Father, I... I thank you for the resurrection, the fact that our Lord is alive. Like Jesus is, he's not floating in the heavens. He's alive. He's on earth. He's present. He's present through your spirit that he sent. Help us understand that. Help us understand how that applies when we wake up in the morning Help us understand that as we um, have families and go to class and um, all the things that you call us to do in a given day, Lord. Help us with that. We can't do this on our own. We need your spirit. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.